Father God, thank you that you are always God and you are in control no matter what. You are always worthy of our praise, Lord, and you're worthy of our attention to help us listen to you as we come to your word now. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see what you have to say to us. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Do you sit down? Let me have my welcome to you this evening. Um, it's great to be together, great to be here. Special welcome if you're new um, or visiting. My name's Ben. Um, I'm part of the church family here at Cornerstone. We're going to be looking at the passage that we had read earlier on um, in our service. So it'd be great to have that in front of you um, as we go through. It's Mark chapter 2, verse 18 to chapter 3, verse 6. It's on page 1004 in the uh, church Bibles. Um, whilst you're finding it, I wonder, have you ever played top trumps with a toddler? If you don't know what I'm talking about, this is top trumps. It's a bit of a British institution. It's like a card game. There are different sort of like flavours of top trumps. That's not the right word, but you get what I mean. Flavours of top trumps. Um, Essentially, you have a card and it's got one of those things on it and it's got categories as well. And you're trying to pick a category that outdoes other people's cards and, and that sort of thing. Have you ever played top trumps with a toddler? Now, um, I've, I've got a nephew who is a toddler. I quite like playing uh, top trumps with him. Um, partly because he's three, so it's an easy win, and sometimes you just need the self-esteem boost. Um, but I like playing uh, top trumps with him. Um, but the thing is, he just doesn't really get it, you know, because the recommended age for top trumps is about six plus, and he's three, so to a certain extent, he just doesn't quite get the rules or exactly how to play. Now, what I don't do when I'm playing top trumps with my toddler nephew, is make it all about the rules. I don't insist that we use all of the categories, even the ones he doesn't really understand. I don't insist that we always take it in turns, because sometimes he likes to go twice in a row, and that's okay. I don't always insist that I give him cards when I'm meant to, and he gives me cards when he's meant to. I don't insist. I don't make it all about the rules. And that's because I value the relationship above the rules. For me, playing top trumps with my nephew is about the relationship that I have with him, not the rules of the game. And if I act like the rules are more important than the relationship, then that's only going to harm the relationship that I have with him. Now, we've been making our way through Mark's gospel in our 7 p.m. services here at Cornerstone. One of the things you get as you move through these first few chapters of Mark's gospel um, is, is increasing, growing tension between Jesus on the one hand and the religious leaders of the time on the other hand. The bit we're in this evening has a lot of tension and conflict in the air. And it's because these religious leaders who are Pharisees, they're called Pharisees, it's like a strict religious sect within Judaism. These Pharisees, well, they've made life with God and relating to God all about rules. And as we go through the passage this evening, the main thing that I want us to see, the main thing I want us to go home with this evening, is I want us to see that Christianity, life following Jesus, is about relationship not rules. Life with Jesus is about relationship, not rules. Now, if you've come out this evening 
And you're thinking, why have I wasted my time? He's only got a one-point sermon. Don't worry. I've got, I've got three sub-points, and they alliterate, which you'll be very pleased to see. But they're just, they're just ways to help us go through the passage, to bring a bit of structure. Um, and they're all ways to help us see, help us grasp that main point that life of Jesus is about relationship, not rules. The structure of this part of Mark, it's a bit of a three-part Q&A session with Jesus, all right? You might have seen it when we were reading through. It's basically religious people ask Jesus a question, Jesus answers. Then religious people ask Jesus a question a second time, and he answers again. Then Jesus flips the tables, and Jesus asks the religious people a question, but they don't answer, they can't answer. It's like a three-part Q&A. By the end of our passage, the tension is built and built to a point where the Pharisees want Jesus dead. And it's those three sections that we're going to see three things that help us grasp the main point, that the Christian life is about relationship, not rules. We'll see firstly that it means feasting, not fasting. Secondly, it means rest, not regulations. And thirdly, it means a saviour, not a system. You get the alliteration there. So let's get cracking with the first part of our Q&A. So we're in uh, chapter 2, verse 18 to 22, feasting, not fasting. Do look down and read along with me from verse 18. Now, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. And on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tale worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise the wine will burst the skins. And both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. So we've got John the Baptist's disciples and the Pharisees. They're both fasting. They're going without food. Now at the time, fasting was only commanded on one day each year. It's only commanded on one day. It's the Day of Atonement. If you want to look it up, you can find out more about it in Leviticus 16. But basically, God's people were commanded to fast on that day as a sign of grief at their sin. But in in Luke's gospel, Jesus tells this parable where there's a Pharisee and he's praying and he's thanking God that he's not like sinners. He's not like everyone else. And one of the reasons he gives is because he fasts twice a week and he tithes. And that's what Pharisees did. They fasted twice a week, Mondays and Thursdays, I think. The Pharisees have taken this once per year command and turned it into a twice per week rule. Do you see that? It's it's rules-based religion. And when asked, Jesus, why are your disciples not fasting? I guess he could have explained to them, right, about the Day of Atonement and about the once-a-year command to fast then. But he doesn't. Look down with me at verse 19. This is how Jesus answers. It says, Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as as they have him with them. Now, we're going to see a part of the Old Testament come up on the screen. This is the prophet Isaiah, back in Isaiah 62. And it's looking forward to a day when God would come and marry his people. I'll put it on the screen. The the second part is what we want to focus on. It says, as a young man marries a young woman, so your builder will marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. 
Fast forward 600 years. Jesus, why aren't your disciples fasting? How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? Jesus is saying he is the bridegroom. He is God coming to marry his people. And you don't fast at a wedding. That would be ridiculous. Totally unfitting. Instead, it's a time for joy and feasting. The bridegroom is here. God is marrying his people, bringing them into a relationship with him. Then a little further on in verses 21 and 22, Jesus, he goes on to highlight that the bridegroom has arrived and he's doing something new. He is bringing a new way of relating to God. And this new way of relating to God is completely incompatible with the old rules-based religion of the Pharisees. He uses two analogies, one about sewing, one about wineskins. Now, I'm not big into sewing and, and patchwork. Um, I know that will surprise some of you by looking at me, but I'm not big into it. But I take it on good authority from family uh, who are kind of of the mend and make do generation that um, sewing unshrunk cloth onto old garments, new unshrunk cloth onto old garments, it still doesn't work today. First time you wash it, the new bit shrinks, tears away, makes it worse. Uh, we're also not uh, big into wineskins in my house. I don't know if anyone still is. But basically, new wineskins, they were flexible. Old wineskins are not. So if you put new wine in them and it ferments and expands, the new wineskin kind of expands with it. The old one doesn't and it breaks and both are ruined. There are two analogies there. I think in both cases, the point is incompatibility. Complete and utter incompatibility. I wonder, have you ever done something completely inappropriate for the setting in which you found yourself? So people sort of start sweating. I'm not going to come and, like, you know, take a roaming mic around or anything like that. I just want to tell you about one time when I was younger, and I was really into wrestling, like American wrestling, WWE or something they called it at the time. My favorite wrestler was a guy called Stone Cold Steve Austin. Pretty cool, eh? Um, and uh, I was going to put a picture up, but to be honest, it's a bit scary. I don't want to make you jump. Um, Stone Cold Steve Austin, he had a, cat, a catchphrase that he used to taunt his opponents with. So he'd say, I'm going to beat you, or I mean, something more sort of taunt-worthy than that, obviously. But um, he'd, he'd kind of taunt them with this phrase. He'd say, and that's the bottom line, because Stone Cold said so. Now, one Christmas, my parents got me this wrestling microphone. When you press the buttons on this microphone, it would play recordings of wrestling catchphrases, um, and I loved it. And I took it to church, because the church I went to at the time did this thing where all the kids like, bring their presents to church, and you get to go up front and show it off to the service leader. You get interviewed. If you're lucky, you make it up onto the big screen, that sort of thing. It's all good fun. So I had to get to church. And then uh, later on in the service, someone was giving this Christmas Day talk, talking about the real meaning of Christmas. The real meaning of Christmas being God coming down in Jesus to rescue his people. And it was towards the end, and it was getting serious, right? And he was saying how God rescues his people through Jesus. And he said, Jesus rescues his people by dying for them. And then I don't know what happened, guys but I twitched or something, and I pressed this button. So he said, and Jesus rescued his people by dying for them, and then ringing out from the pews. And that's the bottom line, because Stone Cold said so. And my mum grabbed it off me and tried to put it under her coat, and she pressed another line, which it was like, can you smell what the rock is cooking, or something like that. <laughs> Completely, piercingly inappropriate. 
That's a silly story, but Stone Cold Steve Austin and his catchphrase, do not go well with English Church of England Christmas Day church services. This is top tier incompatibility. Well, it's that level of incompatibility Jesus is talking about here and much, much more. The Pharisees' old rules-based religion is completely incompatible with this new thing Jesus is doing because it's based on rules and not on relationship. And you can't mix the old and the new. It just doesn't work. They just don't go together. You can't mix it with old rules-based religion when you do things like take a once-per-year command and turn it into a twice-per-week rule. The two are completely incompatible. One's about rules, the other's about relationship. Jesus is saying that I'm the bridegroom, I've arrived. And he's bringing a new way of relating to God. This is a time for feasting, not fasting. It's about relationship, not rules. The Christian life is about relationship, not rules. Let's move on to the next part of our Q&A session with Jesus this evening where we see another thing that helps us grasp that overall point that the Christian life is about relationship, not rules. Um, In chapter 2, verses 23 to 28, we see rest, not regulations. Look down with me there again. Uh, We'll read from verse 23. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields and his disciples walked along. They began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. So in our first bit of Q&A, it was about fasting. And now the second bit of Q&A is about the Sabbath. Observing the Sabbath was one of the Ten Commandments God gave to his people after he'd rescued them from slavery in Egypt in the Old Testament. I'm going to put Deuteronomy 5 on the screen, which kind of explains why the Sabbath was given. It's a, it's a command, and it says this. Just read along. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your town, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. And why keep the Sabbath? Well, verse 15, remember that you were slaves in Egypt, And that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath. So do you see there, the Sabbath day is a day to rest and remember. Rest from your work and remember what God has done. But the Pharisees, well, they'd forgotten about remembering. And they'd focused completely on resting to the absolute extreme. They'd written up 39, 39 kinds of work that were not allowed on the Sabbath. And one of those 39 kinds of work was reaping or harvesting. So they see Jesus' disciples walking through the field, picking some heads of grain. And they effectively go, aha, we've got you. We've caught you out. That's reaping. And that's unlawful on the Sabbath. 
This is a rules-based, regulation-obsessed religion. And Jesus replies, firstly, with a, a story. It's from 1 Samuel 21 in the Old Testament when King David, he's this hero of the Old Testament, the king God had marked out and, and chosen for his people, where he eats some special bread from the altar of God, which the law said only the priests were supposed to eat. And then Jesus says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And the Son of Man, Jesus' favorite title for himself, is Lord, even of the Sabbath. So firstly, even David, even David, that great hero of the Old Testament, broke the law. And scripture doesn't question him. And the Pharisees don't question him. But now Jesus has arrived and he's the Lord of the Sabbath. He is above King David. He is above the law. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. He instituted it. He made it. He is the one who rules over it. And he alone decides what it is for. And what does he say? He says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Pharisees, with their rules-based religion, had made it all about regulations all about what people do or don't do, when it's supposed to be about rest and remembering what God has done. When I got married to my wife, she gave me this ring. Um, it's very precious to me. It's even got a name on the inside, so I don't forget, which is handy. Um, when she gave it to me, she said, Ben, I give you this ring as a sign of our marriage. Now, I don't look after this particularly well. I'm actually going to put it back on because she's probably quite nervous that I'm going to drop it and it's going to go down a hole or something there. I don't look after it very well. But imagine if I did, right? Imagine if I was all about cleaning it. Imagine if I spent all of my time trying to scrub the dirt off it and shining it. Imagine if when we met new people and they said, oh, is this your wife? I said, yeah, look at my ring. Imagine if I... Kiss the ring goodnight at the end of each day, and not my wife. The Bible in Ezekiel 20 says God gave the Sabbath to his people as a sign that they were his. A sign that he made them holy and that he saved them. A sign like this wedding ring. The Pharisees had made it all about the ring, all about the sign, all about their regulations, not the relationship. We need to remember the life of Jesus, the Christian life. It's not about rules. It's about relationship. So we've had the first two parts of our Q&A session with Jesus. We've seen life following him. It's about relationship, not rules. Feasting, not fasting. Rest, not regulations. Let's move on to the last part of our Q&A session with Jesus. And this is the part where he turns the tables. He's been asked two questions, and now he's going to ask them a question. And we see in chapter 3, verses 1 to 6, a saviour, not a sister. So look down with me one last time. We're going to read those first six verses of chapter 3 again. It says, Another time Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them, that's the Pharisees from the previous part, some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? 
to save life or to kill. But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn heart, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Do you see how with each round of this Q&A session, the tension has grown and grown The Pharisees are now watching Jesus closely, looking to accuse him, watching to see if he heals on the Sabbath. Remember how the Sabbath was a day to rest from work and remember what God has done, but the Pharisees had made it all about the rules around what was and wasn't resting. Well, they've even decided healing is work, and therefore they don't think it's allowed. It was rule-based religion, and then some. It's mad, isn't it? They they know Jesus can heal with a word. But despite the fact they're watching him closely, they don't see, do they? Their rules-based religion blinds them to who Jesus is. And this time it's Jesus who asks the question. He asks if it is lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill. And the answer is obvious, isn't it? But scandalously, They remain silent. And I think there's a a second layer to Jesus' question. You see, Jesus, he has come to do good, to heal, to bind up wounds, to give sight to the blind and make the lame walk. But the Pharisees, what they're doing is evil. They're so caught up in their rules-based religion that they won't let themselves be backed into this corner where they have to be compassionate and let go of their rule-keeping. And Jesus is there not only to do good, but he's there to save life, to save anyone who trusts in him from from their sin and the death it leads to. But the Pharisees, well, they're there to kill. They're holding on to their religious system so tightly and so stubbornly that they will not let go, even if it means murder. Even if it means teaming up with the Herodians in verse 6 there in what is the most unlikely of coalitions, because Pharisees and Herodians hated each other. And it's no wonder Jesus is angry and distressed at how stubborn and proud and ugly their hearts are. They're all about their religious system, and they don't see the saviour in front of them. They've made it all about their rules instead of relationship with him. So I hope we've seen this evening through our Q&A session with Jesus that life following him is about feasting, not fasting. Rest, not regulations. The saviour, not a religious system. That the Christian life, life following Jesus is not about rules, it's about relationship. You might be here this evening, you might not call yourself a Christian, maybe you're just looking into things, you're yet to make up your mind. You might have been put off by the idea that Christianity is just about following a bunch of rules that God kind of wants to ruin your fun or or catch you out. Well, I hope you're pleasantly surprised this evening. As the Anglican preacher Dick Dick Lucas put it, don't worry, Jesus isn't very religious. I hope you see goodness in how Christianity is. It's not about rules, it's about relationship. Now, that doesn't mean Jesus doesn't want his people to live a certain way, but living a certain way won't save you. Only Jesus can do that. 
The instructions he gives to his people are to help us to enjoy life to the full and to make the most of the relationship he's brought us into. And if that's you this evening and you want to know more, do come and have a chat with me or speak to someone in a purple lanyard after. We'd love to talk to you. If you're a Christian here this evening, it's easy to get this wrong. It's easy to get quite rulesy. I think we're all naturally, in our heart of hearts, inclined to want to follow rules to a certain extent because well, we're naturally proud. We want things to be about what we do and not what God has done because that way we're in control of it and we get the credit after. Take serving in church on a ministry team as an example. And we know Jesus wants us to serve one another like he has served us. So we know serving our church family is a good thing, unless we'll get on and do it. But we do need to be a little bit careful because we so easily start getting caught up in how much or how little we're serving. And the moment we start measuring our life with Jesus against how much we're serving, we're making it about rules, not relationships. And that sends us in one or two ways. It'll either make you proud and puffed up or downcast and burdened. And I wonder which way you're more inclined to lean. It might make you proud and puffed up on the one side. If I'm honest, sometimes I quite like talking to other people at church about how much I have on and how busy my Sunday is because of how it makes me look to them. Does anyone else do that? And I feel pride. I feel pride. I feel pride in how busy I am or how well I'm keeping the rule that you have to serve at church to be a good Christian. And I maybe look down on other people because of it. When we start feeling proud and puffed up, we need to remember life of Jesus. It's not about rules. It's about relationship. It might help us to remember that our service is it's an expression of our relationship with Jesus, the servant king. And we want to be like him. We want to be like our king. It's a response to something he has done. It's not about what or how much we do. Life with Jesus, it's not about rules. It's about relationship. So you might be tempted to be proud and puffed up on one hand. On the other hand, you might, it might make you downcast and, and burdened. And sometimes I feel that way too. I serve at church because... I feel I have to. And I feel guilty when I don't. And I feel less of a Christian because serving is one of the rules you have to follow if you're doing it properly. But when we start to feel burdened, I'm not a very good Christian. We need to remember that the Christian life is about relationship. It's not about rules. It might help to remember Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath, who offers rest, rest from our labor of trying to follow rules to please him. It might help to remember Jesus who came to serve, not to be served, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So let's remember this evening that one thing, life following Jesus, it's not about rules, it's about relationship. And let's pray together as we close. Father, thank you for Jesus, the bridegroom, the Lord of the Sabbath. Thank you, he is more interested in serving us than in us serving him. And Lord, we're sorry for the times we get that wrong and we fall into pride. Help us remember that life following Jesus is about what he has done, not about what we do.
It's about relationship with him, not about keeping rules. And Lord, would that help us enjoy our relationship with him even more and honor him with our lives. And it's in his precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing now and worship Jesus, our living hope together, in a song that focuses on what he has done, stepping down from glory to bear our sin, to bring us into relationship with him. So let's stand as the music starts.